Good morning. Welcome to part two of our Christmas series this year called Know Jesus. And we're asking the question, what if Jesus had never been born? How would that impact your life today? And particularly, how would that impact your world? And you would be stunned because the message of Jesus is not about life insurance after you die. The message of Jesus is about life today that lasts through this life. And we are glad you're here for this part today where we're gonna talk about, last week we talked about there would be no church and you do not wanna live in a world where there is no church. But today we're gonna talk about there would be no New Testament. No New Testament. And uh, your life has been impacted by these 27 books more than you probably even realize, especially as a Westerner. We also, on a march... We're on a march to make this place a place that is safe for thousands of students eventually, because we're going to turn this place here that we have into a predominantly one-day-a-week place to one that's used six days a week to create all these intersections with students throughout not just Dayton, but Southwest Ohio. And uh, yesterday, we were in uh, the stadium at the game, and uh, the, I'm sitting there, and we're among 100,000 people at Ohio Stadium, and I was thinking about how this was built in 1922. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the average attendance at Ohio State games in 1922 was about 40 to 50,000. The vision, 100 years ago, that you would be able to get 100,000 people to come and before they overpriced the tickets, they could get more than that. Uh, it, was, was just, it was just visionary. And now it's a basically an Ohio State reunion six, seven Saturdays a month. That's, I said that right. It's only used six or seven times a year, I should say. Isn't it amazing? Think about that. Other than, you know, Luke Combs is having a concert there July 23rd, so that counts too, I guess. But it's just used very little, all that, so that we can gather to watch football six, seven times a year. And yet also, because somebody had vision of something that did not yet exist, and so Michigan Stadium, Ohio Stadium, all these big stadiums were built because somebody had vision. Now, one of the things I'm noticing with the player's box vision, some of you are having a hard time grasping this. It's because it's something that doesn't exist yet. And that is a church that's saying, we're going to create intersections where people can build community with students, with each other, six days a week. And it's, that's hard to grasp. It really is that simple. But one of the cool things about this is we're going to go from using this building, which is wonderful, and it's great. It would be worth it if we only used it one day a week, to now we're going to use this facility six days a week. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a good stewardship of what we have as a facility? Absolutely it is. And, and I am so excited about that, if for no other reason, of the thousands of intersections that are going to take place here uh, during the week when we finish this, well, one guy, a guy I just love him to death. I've known him since he was, was this big, which if you know him, he was this big when he was three years old <laughs> because many of you know him from Miamisburg High School. Some of you know him from Ohio State University and now the, the center of the Green Bay Packers, South Brooks and Miamisburg's own Josh Myers. Take a look at, I sat down with Josh a couple months ago when the sun was still out um, and um, take a look at this video. I am so excited, Josh, 
to grab you yeah. today while you were in town. As many of you know, Josh Myers is a graduate of Miamisburg High School and Ohio State University and now playing for the Green Bay Packers. But the thing, Josh, people don't know about with you is the unbelievable mental challenge you faced your first couple of years at Ohio State. Talk about mm -hmm. that for a minute. Because everybody looks at you and thinks, man, you've had the dream. Yeah, right. You right. just yeah, lived yeah. the dream that every kid wants. Yeah. I committed to Ohio State as a sophomore and for most of my high school career was a top five player in the country. Just so that you can understand the context of what I was stepping into when I got to Ohio State. So there was a lot of talk about me starting as a true freshman, which I was in no way, shape or form ready for. When did you realize I'm not ready to start here? Was it the first day? First day of pads. Yeah, yeah okay. we, we, threw okay. the, we threw the pads on during spring ball and uh, I knew pretty quickly that I, was, I had a ways to go. Um, but, but yeah, there was just so much pressure from that standpoint. The coaches were pushing me extremely hard uh, to try and get me onto the field, and I wasn't ready for it. Wasn't ready mentally, didn't know the game of football well enough. We were in, in fall camp my, my true freshman year, and I got sick the second week. I was losing ballpark of around 12 pounds a day, throwing up six or seven times of practice. And, you know, at Ohio State, we'd have to weigh in and weigh out. So I wouldn't be allowed to leave the facility at the end of the day until I gained all of that weight back. So I would just sit there in the lunchroom while everyone else went home and just ate to try and gain the weight back because I was sick because I kept throwing up. And... and while that's happening, you're being challenged in terms of your manhood in some degree, right? You're, you're... Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And almost being encouraged to say, you can't make it here. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, you're not, not good enough to make Did Did you go through a period where you believed that criticism? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I certainly did. Well, it's, it's hard. I think when you get talked down on so many times, so consistently, and, you know, by, yeah, it just, it, it, you start to believe it, and you have, to, you have to pull yourself out of it. I mean, that's what I had to do. Where did that grit come from? Yeah. You know, there were there were so many times where and I've never I don't think I don't know if I've ever even told anyone this. I would I would drive to the facility and listen to the song Voice of Truth mm. and try and convince myself that I belonged. Um, wow. And I would do it not like once, like once every couple of days or once a week, like every day for like a year. I did that. Um, but so like faith was a big part of getting through that for me. And then I would just think about my family you know, my hometown, mm -hmm. my friends, everybody who supported me over the years and who sacrificed things yeah. for me, but especially my family and my parents. Um, I just, I don't know, at a certain point, I got sick of getting talked down on and mm -hmm. being told I wasn't good enough. Uh, and I kind of just put my foot down and just, you know, just kind of willed it to happen. You had another mental health challenge, and that was last year when you tested positive and mm -hmm. you had to spend time away. It was awful. It was absolutely awful, especially with like football being such a team sport and how badly I, you know, just wanted to be there for my teammates. And I did, I, I moped around big time for like probably three days. It was just, you know, feeling sorry for myself. Um, just an awful first three days. And then um, the more I kind of was there, the more I was hopping on meetings and all of my focus went towards helping them, getting them ready and just, cheering them on and being the, the biggest fan for them that I could be. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's how I ended up getting through it. So Players Box exists, and we're getting ready to go to six days a week. 
trying mm -hmm. to be a place of intervention and training for right. st helping students perform under pressure. In the arts, we have dancers who are pressured into body image issues. Right. In academics, we have kids. We literally had a girl who got a 31 or ACT to get into Ohio State and is wondering now, am I going to be the failure in the family? Mm -hmm. And then there's the athletic pressure. Why is Players Box right now for such a time as this, such a critical initiative for Southbrook? Um, I think I just the, the pressure of of sports, especially on kids these days. Um, it's out of balance, isn't it? It's so out of balance, and I've seen it. it. It's tough when people you're really close to, it affects them. I mean, people I'm really close to have almost walked away from the sports uh, that they played because it was just crippling them. I mean, that's the best word I could use to describe it. It was it was crippling, crippling. Yeah. the anxiety that they experienced from it. Wow. Well, thank you. We're so proud of you, and, and I just look forward to seeing how yeah. the Lord uses you because he has given you a platform but I don't think you'll say anything more important this week than what you just said to parents who, and, and students mm -hmm. who are gonna hear your words. And, yeah. and we just appreciate you so much, Josh. Yeah, thank you so much, really appreciate yeah. it. I, I want you to know I heard the Snickers. <laughs> I could take him in a Bible Bowl contest. <laughs> I love that guy. He's just got such a big heart, and he's going to be very integral in player's box. Now, here's, here's what I know comes from that. You, you may be, but my kid's not 6'6", 275 pounds as a junior in high school. What about, you know, my kid? My kid is 105 pounds as a freshman, 6'1", and is a girl. I mean, what, what, you know, what, what, what about her? What, well, we tell parents, if you know, there's a really easy way to know if your child is under pressure in this culture. Uh, put your hand in front of their face, and if they're breathing on it, they're under pressure in this culture in some capacity. And so this movement to, to repurpose our church building around this is absolutely critical. There are cards on your seat today. If you have not filled out a commitment... We are very excited to announce this. Uh, last week, we, our first week, we went halfway there in terms of commitments. Last week was a 40% jump, a 40% jump. Um, I don't know, this is not coming, there we go. A 40% jump. So today, we are at 2.658418 plus million committed out of our four million dollar goal so thank you for those of you who last weekend responded we're getting there well uh, 1.4 is very doable and uh, that's what it's going to take to make this a place that ha doesn't exist yet in churches we've got churches we were with a church this week who came in from st louis and saying what are you guys doing because uh, nobody's doing student ministry well anymore and we figured out something that is a way to intersect with students. And listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. 85% of people who come to Christ in the United States of America do so before the age of 14. If you don't get them before 14, there is a great chance you're not going to get them for Jesus. And you say, why are you doing this? That's why we're doing this. And people like Josh Myers are they're lending their credibility to say, this is absolutely critical. We want you to be a part of it. Now, as I said, today, we are uh, 
in part two of a series, but also today is important because today is Southbrook Sirs Day and we need more drivers today. We have a few uh, openings with regards to drivers. We have everyone who's purchased the food to send to those who are in need. So if today you can be a driver, make sure that you go straight from here out to the Southbrook serve spot in the atrium and uh, say, hey, I can drive. I can take, get the food from here and take it and deliver it to one of those families in need. Please, please, please make sure that you do just that. I, um, I was... Um, so is this thing not on? Is that what the deal is? Or am I doing something wrong up here? Usually it's my fault. Usually it's my fault. Uh, but I was, I was uh, raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a Christian home. And I remember my first Bible that I got, March 10th, 1974, when I was baptized. I still have it on my shelf, a green leather Bible with color pictures of the Holy Land in the middle. And... Uh, I just, I loved that Bible. It was the King James Version, so I didn't understand most of it, but I loved it anyway. And I, be, I was taught to believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I did until I didn't. And when I didn't was when I went to Bible college, to Christian college, and realized that, oh my gosh, like a lot of college students, I don't have my own faith. I have my parents' faith. You, you ever... But God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So there comes a point in every person's journey where it's got to become your faith. And I did two things. I started studying, did the crucifixion and resurrection really happen? And the other was, why do I believe the Bible is the word of God? Why do I believe that? And I came to my own conclusions that led to me being called into the, my favorite thing to do is teach the Bible. And... A part of that journey was this question right here. Why did Bible-believing people seem to be very selective when it came to cutting and pasting the Old and New Testament? Why is that? Have you ever asked that question? Why did Bible-believing people seem to cut and paste some Old Testament concepts, but some they didn't, and some of those, they embedded into what was, in our church, we were called a New Testament church. That was always a, a source of dissonance for me. And so this question led me to examine why is it that I believe what I believe about the Bible, particularly what we're looking at today, and that is if there were no Jesus, there would be no New Testament. There would be no New Testament. Now, the Bible is really divided into these concepts. The Bible is, is divided into two covenants. The word for covenant also means testament. So you've heard that. The Old Testament, we call it, and the New Testament. It is simply another word, and there's a whole Latin explanation for that. That means covenant or testament. And the Bible really starts with a story that goes in cyclical motion, creation, crisis, calling, covenant, community, and Christ. You see this repeated in the in the Old Testament, it is leading its way to the Christ, to the Jesus, that it starts with this creation. The crisis of sin hits humanity, and then God calls Abraham, and he calls Moses, and he creates this covenant relationship that builds a community that ultimately finds its way in Christ. And the interesting thing about that is that all of us who are of faith in Christ have those same elements in our life. We have those same elements. 
As a matter of fact, for most people, it goes this way. It doesn't go creation, crisis, calling, covenant, community, and Christ. For most of us, it goes this way, crisis, Christ, community, covenant, calling, and then recreation. And most people, that's the, the order that it goes in. And a lot of, it doesn't mean that, it, hey, wait a minute, I was out of order. That, does, that doesn't matter, okay? That you have these elements. But a lot of people come to Christ because of crisis, because they become aware of their sin, because they become aware of their failings. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful. One of my favorite books about the Old Testament is a book that I read years ago called On the Way to Jesus. That's what the Old Testament is. I call it the Older Testament, and you'll see why. It's because the whole thing is pointing to the Messiah. Now, here's the problem with that. When you come to Christ, and you have faith in him, and this will really happen even if you don't come to Christ, but if you have a New Year's resolution January 1st to read the Bible— you've never done. When you come to Christ, you want to read the Bible, but what's the problem with that? The Bible doesn't start with Christ. It would be the equivalent of you sit down to, to watch a movie. Let's say you watched a movie called The Chosen, and you know this thing is about Jesus, and you go through 15 episodes, and they still aren't to Jesus. You would start wondering, who's this really about? Who is this really about? Because most of the Bible, I mean, is this that is not about Jesus, and then there's this that is about Jesus. The, the important thing to remember when it comes to the Bible, which is 66 books in all, 39 in the Older Testament, 27 in the Newer Testament, is this, is that the problems with blending the old and the new as the same there is an inherent problem with that. Now, well, let me explain what that is. It's not because the old is flawed. So please hear me on this. What I'm about to say is not, don't pay attention to the Old Testament because it's flawed. It is written in an age when they didn't know what they were talking about. That's not true. The Old Testament in its codes, its religious practices, uh, actually its social codes to help the vulnerable are brilliant and way ahead of their time. You're talking about, imagine coming into an eighth grade classroom and you've got these kids who've known no rules their whole life and now you've got to bring order out of those 30 highly chemicaled 14-year-olds, sinners, Okay, and you got to bring order. You got to bring social order to that group. What would you have to do? What would you have to do? Would you come in and start talking about grace? No, you wouldn't. You'd come in and you would say, "Here, here to business, gang. Here are the rules, and we're going to show you the way by setting up these rules." That's why it gets really dicey with Christian education when you got to combine rules with grace. It's really complicated. It's really dangerous. Because why? God's taking these people who had really basically many followed Canaanite rules, which were no rules, and said, now I'm going to bring a community out of a covenant with these people. And, and it's very important to understand this. It was brilliant. The Older Testament is absolutely so far ahead of its time, and it is absolutely brilliant. But here's important understanding. God's covenant with ancient Israel 
was designed for, guess who? Ancient Israel. It wasn't designed for us. It was on the way to Jesus. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, we see things like Romans 3.23. The law was given to show that we are sinners. One of the reasons God gave the law wasn't to make us better. It was to show us uh, the straight edge of the law, it says in Romans 3. To show us how crooked we are. That, man, is there a plan B? Because I can't be good enough for this. I can't be. And so God brought this covenant in with all of these codes. And then there's this. Then there's this. Most of what makes our faith in Jesus today that is a mixture of the old and the new for many people, that is appalling to people, is not necessary. Why? Because it's old covenant stuff. For example, do you know any churches today that still use priestly garments that are very fancy and weird hats and they're in temples with ornate architecture that has uh, all of these uh, holy glass windows. And that, that building, when you walk in, it's a temple. Anybody? Ever? That's Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to, I'm going to show you that I'm present in the world. I'm going, to, I'm going to centralize my presence in a building. They built the temple. But guess who's the temple now? When we sing this morning, open up the windows and let the heaven's gates open, that's not talking about, oh, wait a minute. We have no windows in here. God's not coming in today because we can't open the windows. We have no windows. The windows are you. You're the windows. You're the gate. You and I are the temple of the living God now. God God showed a temple to show the type and we are the anti-type. We're the fulfillment of that in the new covenant. But it gets really, really messy because most of what makes faith in Christ uh, as Christ followers appalling, not appealing to people, is Old Testament covenant stuff that had a reason for a time for Israel in Israel's time. As a matter of fact, what is not necessary is from the Old Testament, and Jesus came to do what to the Old Covenant? What, what is that word there? He came to fulfill the old covenant, he came to put a stamp on, it is finished, and then start something new. He said, and and we see inklings of this in the prophets of the Old Testament. We see inklings of, I'm doing something new. I'm up to something, God says. And you'll see the fulfillment of it when the suffering servant comes. Now, one of the things about this is today I know, part of my job is to create disequilibrium. It is, is what I'm doing right now. For some of you, you're like, going like, uh, wait a minute. You're messing with the way I see the Bible. Uh, I'm setting you straight. The, the Bible is made up of two covenants that are not the same. The one had a role and a specificity for a group of people in a certain time, and the other is for you. And for me, right now. As a matter of fact, look at this. Hebrews 8, 6, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, the old covenant, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on 
better promises. Now, what, what is that saying? It's saying this covenant's better because this is how he's done better promises. There's no parsing of Greek verbs that need to be happening there. What it's saying is what it's saying. Jesus came and said at the cross, it is finished. All the requirements of the old covenant are done. Those are passing away. And now I have brought in a new covenant. I'm gonna show you in a moment just what that new covenant is, but let me show you where this affects your life. When... How many of you have ever graduated from anything? Okay, yeah. When graduates graduate, there is a happening that takes place, and that is two literary masterpieces are presented to graduates. This may, it'll happen all over the place. One will be Dr. Seuss and Oh, the Places You Go. Right, that's one. Every year, you watch in May, boom. Oh, the Places You Go zooms to the top of the bestseller list. The other is this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, just by chance, how many of you have ever given that or received that graduate to graduate? You probably have. We write it. It's great. What parents hope that means is you're going to get a job with your own apartment. That's what they hope it means. God has promised me you're moving out. Okay, that's what that means. Now, the question is, for I know the plans I have for you, who is the you? Is the, who's the you? Is it Cindy Lou who? Who's the you here? Well, the you is not you. Who was the old covenant written to? What did I say? To Israel. At the time of Israel. For Israel. And I want to show you how that's good news. This is good news. So, you know, we have this whole church now that's going, where are those Jeremiah 29, 11 cards we had printed? I am not giving those away anymore. All right? But here, look at this. Look at, the, look at the context of this. Jeremiah, Old Testament. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. What's that? Israel is in captivity in Babylon. They have been taken captive by the evil Babylonian empire. And 70 years is over, I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Now, that answers who the you is. The you is Israel taken into captivity in Babylon and he's saying in 70 years, you're going to see a release from Babylonian captivity. Now, if you take this for the graduates, you go, honey, you're graduating. When you're 88, man, if you'll just hold out to when you're 88 years of age, life's going to get really good then. Life's going to get really good because God has promised to prosper you in 70 years. God has promised to prosper you in 70 years. And I know you're going to be wandering the mall looking for the ultimate and soft yogurt, having dinner at 2 o'clock and breakfast the night before by that point, but it's really going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it if you'll just wait on God. Is that good news? That's not very good news. You know what's good news? This isn't for you. This is not for you. You're the recipient of a better covenant. Of a better covenant. This is really cool. Under the old covenant, you were blessed only when you obeyed. Anybody remember Pavlov's dog? 
What was Pavlovian experiment? That the, the, the Pavlov would ring the bell, feed the dog, ring the bell, feed the dog. And then all that Pavlov had to do was ring the bell and what would the dog start doing? Salivating. That's what the dog would start doing. It would start salivating. Why? Because it associated bell food, bell food. God in the old covenant saying sin is death, sin is death, sin is death, sin is death. You need a savior, you need a savior, you need a savior. And so that's why when they disobeyed, you're going to Babylon. You think detention's bad? Let's try spending time in Babylon. That's where you're headed. God would punish them. Look at this. That's the old covenant. Under the new covenant, you are blessed in spite of your disobedience. <laughs> and so you want to do what? You want to obey. Anybody ever had a parent that you loved? You didn't want to break their heart, not because if you did, they'd disown you, but because you just, you didn't want to break their heart. And you're a child of God now. You've been graced. The scandal of nothing can separate you from the love of God that was purchased for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation. You heard Alan read it. And now, as a result of that, you say, how can I give my heart and soul to this? The old covenant with Israel was all or nothing. Look at this, look at this, look at this on the screens. The new covenant with us is all for nothing only because of Jesus' payment. It was all or nothing back in the old day. Today, it's all for nothing. You get it as a gift. This is why we call grace a scandal. You say, that's not fair. I know. I know you're the orphan that was out in the streets and God said, I'm, I'm bringing my son out into the streets from the family mansion and he's going to select orphans and say, would you want to be a part of my family? You, would you want to be, I'll pay your price. I'll pay your, I'll pay your adoption. You want to be my child? You're not just a wandering on the streets because of sin. Now you're my child. I chose you. And this is, I know if you're sitting there going, that's not fair. That's not the American way. I know it's not the American way. It's not. It doesn't feel fair. We should earn everything, right? No, that's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the new covenant. The Old Testament is God's word, please understand me, for Israel in the time of Israel, setting the stage for the new in Jesus. And so I read the Old Testament, not because I think it applies to me, but because I, I read Jeremiah 29, 11, and I think, oh, thank you, Lord, that you went into captivity for me. I'm free. So when I read Jeremiah, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. This, I, I'm the recipient of a better covenant. Can you imagine what it would be like today still be living under the old covenant? Here's what hell this morning would have gone. Honey, go out of the barn and get the lamb. Um, honey, did you sharpen the knife? Make sure we don't get any blood on the Lexus on the way home from church today. Because we'd still be sacrificing sheep. You think it's hard to get your kids to come to church now? Make them go out to the barn and get their little Mary's little lamb. And they got to bring that to church and cut its throat. And, and that's, oh my gosh, this is really tough to get people to come to church today. We thought rain kept people from church. Man, this is really hard. It would just be a mess all over the place. And I'm being facetious, somewhat. 
I actually was a part of, Randy Kramer and I one time were part of a student ministry camp where, we, where one of our guys got the idea to sacrifice a lamb in camp in front of teenagers just to give them the idea of Jesus. And you had fainting teenagers all over the place just <laughs> going white in the face as they watched this lamb's throat be cut. And it's like, yeah, you think that's barbaric. God was teaching something there. I like coming to church today, don't you? I mean, it's, it's hot chocolate. It's not blood that's flowing, it's coffee that's flowing. Plus, how many of you, how many of you would have made it past 15 years of age if you, made it, you lived in the old covenant time? Look at this, look at this, look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 21. If someone has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of this town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. That's, you know, he's just staying in the basement all the time. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. You think? (laughs) You think? And you you hear that, and to us, this is barbaric and unintelligent. It had a reason. There's a reason behind it back then. But how many of you would have made it past 15 years of age if we were still living under that covenant? There'd be people coming to church today going, our son needs player's box. It's either that or we're going to have to stone him. I mean, he's just not, he's just not performing the way we want to. No, I mean, I, I'm, again, I'm showing this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but please understand what Jesus did. And what he did is he said, I have fulfilled all the requirements that the, new, the old covenant required in payment. There is no more sacrifice for blood that remains sin, that those requirements have been fulfilled. As a matter of fact, all they did was roll back sin, the blood of bulls and goats. They didn't actually pay for it. And, and when Jesus came, he said, he's, John said, there's, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. Say it with me. Of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is what's called in that day a promissory covenant. It's, it wasn't an equal covenant. It wasn't an equal covenant. A promissory covenant was, was that I pay and you don't pay anything. You don't pay anything. If somebody did that for you, you'd say, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? That's how we live now. We live out of grace. Like, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Because we're the recipient of a better covenant. And as many of you know, if you've ever heard me do a wedding, it, this is actually wedding imagery where the, the groom would take the cup and say, this is my life given for you. When a, when a groom took this at a wedding from his family stash, he was saying, I'm giving my life for you. This is, this is George McFly saying to Lorraine, you're my density. I mean, I mean my destiny, that I will give everything for you. And it is just an amazing statement. When you see it in its contrast, it's a stunning reality. As a matter of fact, the root word for covenant in Hebrew means to cut. It means to cut. We even see it say today, we're cutting a deal, right? We say that. 
And the root word is really cool because in Genesis 15, God does something that was common in ancient Middle Eastern culture and that he calls Abraham into covenant by taking an animal. And what they normally did is they'd cut it in two and they would put one part on one side, one on the other, the blood in the middle, and the parties would walk in between the carcasses, the carcass that was split in two. And the point of it was, if I fail to keep my part of the covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. It was a blood covenant. And you know why that matters? Because Christ became the carcass. Christ became the carcass. He said, this is my blood. It's all in me. Of this new covenant I have with you. Take and drink of it. All of you. All of you. This cup, Luke tells us, is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And there are two New Testament books that our church was based on. Our church was based on Galatians and Hebrews. Both of them have to do with about 20 years after Jesus resurrected, the Jewish leaders finally agreed that people didn't have to become Jewish Old Testament people first before they could become Christians. They finally agreed that, that Gentile followers actually got it a little better. And they, and they, they actually understood it. And they, so they gave up this idea that somebody had to become an Old Covenant before they could become a New Covenant. And the Hebrew writer says this, Because of his oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant by calling this covenant new. He has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And this is so cool. Because all the things that people hate about our faith are Old Testament things. Prophets railing against evil people. That's an Old Testament thing. They didn't do that once the new covenant came along. That wasn't how Jesus operated. People calling out the Sermon on the Mount to justify pogroms against Jews and start inquisitions and crusades. That's Old Testament blended with new. You have a better covenant. The better covenant is now we operate on one law. What is that law? It's love. It's the law of love. And this is so important because it will set you free and the things about your faith that are most appealing and not appalling are the things that are of Jesus. So here's why this is important. Some of you, on January 1st, are going to start reading the Bible. And you're going to get to about Leviticus and go, and John Grisham's latest novel is going to become really appealing to take the place of Leviticus. When you start reading the Bible, start with Jesus. And stay there as long as you need to. Start with Jesus and stay there as long as you need to. Faith does not start because you know the Bible. Faith starts because you know Jesus revealed particularly in the Gospels and generally in the New Testament. That's where faith starts. Matter of fact, look at this on the screens. This is so important. The first believers did not believe because of the Old Testament. It was the word of God for the Israelites during the time of Israel. It was the word of God. It wasn't flawed, but it was a time. They believed because they had seen Jesus alive. That's why they believed. And then they wrote it down. And you and I have it. It was sitting on your seat when you came in today. 
we have partnered with an organization called Plus Nothing. I love it because when we teach on Galatians and Colossians, we teach Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus anything is nothing. And Josh Richardson and his family who run, the, they started Otterbox. Anybody have an Otterbox around their phone right now? They are Christ followers, and they have a goal to give the story of Jesus to 10 million people around the world away, free. 10,000 of those are going to come from Southbrook. Isn't that cool? So today, you have on your seat the six-part story of Jesus, the synoptic gospels. The gospels blended in chronological order of the life of Jesus and open those up right now because on the inside you have a QR code on the inside and you scan that code and, and there is a, a video uh, of me leading us through the next six weeks of the reading of the six parts on the life of Jesus that we're going to do as a church. And then on Christmas we are going to hand these out so that we flood Dayton you'll have these given to you so that you can give them away to other people. Why? Because we believe we are the, re the, the receivers of a new and better covenant. It's not a covenant of a system. It's the covenant built into a person. And we want you to join us beginning this week to read this through in parts. As you'll hear me say, it is so critical you read this as if you're reading it for the first time. Read it as if you're reading it for the first time. Read it slowly. I know when you do Bible reading plans, you're going, I got to get through this. I got to get, I got to check the box. We want you to read this because it's not very long. The reading isn't very long. And read it as if you're reading it with fresh eyes for the first time. Because in Jesus, you are a child of God. Adopted. He paid the adoption price. And that is a better covenant. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this movement of Jesus that changed art, it changed how we view children, how we view compassion, education, history, uh, political theory, recovery, time, women, love. One statement, one statement from this book will change our country. Love your enemies. Oh my gosh. That would change the world. If we could live that out, that would change the world. That would change our community. That would change our country. And so today, we don't start believing because we believe in a six-day creation or we don't. That's not what we believe. We believe because there's one who rose from the dead and people wrote it down and said we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard and we pass this on to you and to many generations because Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. And in this next month, Jesus, we are going to lift you up so that no Jesus becomes. Let's know Jesus. Let's know Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen.